Welcome back, my friends, to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the insight with other leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as every week, I am here with my two co-hosts, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Hey, guys. Hey, Carlos. Hey there. So I, I don't want to skip over the fact that you're back with us. That's right. Welcome I've back. I've been sorely, sorely missed. So welcome back. So we have a very interesting topic. After everything, we're going to open the book because we were looking at things on our planning. How do we do things from a leadership standpoint, from a thinking standpoint? We said, hey, a lot of times people have to learn how to do a collaborative session, how to interact and actually not to have a yes person next to you. And we start thinking about how do we come up with the topics? How do we think about how we do it as leaders? So today we opening the book into, how are we calling this, Howard or Paul? I know that we said that we we're going to do, but how do we call it? Um, how to properly collaborate as a peer or the signs that your collaboration is working. And yeah. that isn't only for a podcast, that is for a company how to truly collaborate to come out with the end result. Especially difficult when you're creating, right? Especially difficult yeah. when it's a blank slate and you're trying to, trying to devise some sort of topic or content or asset. Uh, you, need to, you need to think and act and work differently with your team members. In, in some ways, what we do for the sweet spot is both best case scenario and worst case scenario. Right. Right. Yeah. Best case scenario, it would be this in person with a whiteboard. Mm -hmm. right? And we could kind of do some standard brainstorming, right? Start writing stuff out, throwing stuff up, up, throwing it up against the proverbial wall and seeing what sticks. But as everyone knows, we no longer have the ability to do that in this current state of affairs. Um, right. So I would say that's the worst. The best case scenario is because there's three of us. Mm -hmm. Right. And rule number one is if you want to collaborate in a positive way, you get the number of people down as small and tight as you possibly can while still being able to represent perspective, totality and completeness. Right. So there'll be value in talking about like topic wise, uh, the last 30 minutes. We, st we started this podcast 30 minutes ago. You didn't see it, but let's talk about what that 30 minute looked like. Also, let's talk about what we don't do and the reason why we don't do it. So as an example, what we rarely do is talk about the next 50 podcasts, right? We don't think about um, the storyline that goes into years. We truly think about what's relevant today, this week, this time, based on the conversations we've had recently, just as an example. And that's very helpful because I actually keep keep the conversation current. Mm. We look at what is happening on each one of our roles, what we're interacting, and what can we bring from the learning from that previous week. So Carlos, describe the last 30 minutes. So <laughs> we start catching up coming up and interacting um, as a team, 
nobody here has a title, so titles go out the door. This is how we're coming unless, what can we do today for our listeners, for the people that we're going to serve? And we start chatting, having fun. I think that that's very key, that even though it has to be creative, but each one is bringing the best part of each one of us. It's, and then, what was that? It's, it's kind of interesting the way, the way it happens, right? Um, generally, we all hop on this call and we go, okay, what are we talking about this week? And Paul goes, well, I had a couple of ideas. And Paul throws those ideas up and we kind of kick them around a little bit, right? Like we kick the tires, we look at the engine, we kind of sit in the seat, does this right. fit? And, yeah. and, and I, I get the feeling that Paul kind of pokes me with a stick a little bit just to see, does Howard have a rant buried in there somewhere? <laughs> right. Can I, can 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 I get 10 out. minutes out of this? Can I? Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> it's almost always, wait, 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 you're ranting, let's record this. So, right. so, so sometimes, and I would say half the time, maybe, maybe more or less, um, those are the topics we go with, or that is the topic we go with, right? Um, Today, it didn't really work like that, right? We kind of talked with two topics and I was like, well, I don't think the second one's gonna work. And we started kicking around ideas and we do the same thing with all the ideas, right? Um, there's no big plan. There's no script. We just go, hey, here's an idea. We pause after the idea and go, does that resonate at all? Moving on, does that resonate at all? Moving on, does that resonate at all? Um, and it's 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 super collaborative and there's no ego attached right we all bring ideas the ideas you know we have 10 times as many ideas as we actually talk about at least we can only pick one and none of us i've never felt hurt that my idea didn't get chosen and i think i think the reason why that's true is because we have ideas that are used for more than one asset right we all three of us maintain a list Right, it's a, li a list that gets built up on a daily basis, an hourly basis. Our interactions with people, our interactions with our dreams, right, in the shower, as you mentioned, right. These are just interesting things that we think could be a blog, could be an article, it could be a video, it could be a pod, it could be just an answer to an email, just somebody's supposition. Because the reality is, most of our time, especially at work, is answering questions, right. Um, and because of that, we maintain this list. And some of these lists might be interesting in a format like this. Some of these lists are just insufficient for that. There's, you can't get 20 minutes out of it. And you mentioned so, something very interesting, Paul, when we were talking, that sometimes we get asked questions mm -hmm. and we need to provide an answer. People come to the leaders. So leaders are known and they grow because they can solve problems. So people recognize that. And sometimes you have to give an answer. And the answer may be the right one, may not be the right one. And that was an interesting point that you mentioned that sometimes when we look at that and like when we're creating, we say, well, let's try this. And then we go, mm, that doesn't sound right. Well, then let's switch it. And being able to switch or shift, I think that that's key for us in here, but also for leaders. Like we're looking at the technology. We knew that the way of development changed and it brought agile. And then how do we do things from the infrastructure? When cloud came in, we had to adjust to the different things. So see, if we start being adjusting or shifting as a leader, 
that make us grow and interact in a better way and be able to serve whoever we're working with. And here's the real difficult part of that. It is very easy to Google answer and answer and give them the answer. In fact, very rarely would they come to us for that. What they actually come to the three of us for is a unique perspective, a turn, a spin, a dimension that you can't Google. That's the hard part, right? To say, well, cloud might be the way the, this kind of nuance, this kind of turn, this kind of change, this kind of industry, this kind of company actually makes that decision differently. And I'm going to talk about that. That's, that's the hard part. Which I mean, is, the reality is we're not paid for our knowledge. Right. We're not, we're paid for our perspective. The knowledge informs the perspective. And I don't mean we like the three of us. I mean, we like every employed human in the world. Right. right. I've never employed someone because they had knowledge that no one else could get. Right. Right. I pay for the perspective, the way that you take that knowledge and turn that into value through your unique lens. And that means if we're in a room and we're supposed to be having a conversation, my expectation is you're bringing your perspective to bear. And to be honest, if the room you're in isn't looking for your perspective, excuse yourself from the room. And if the organization isn't looking for your perspective, excuse yourself from the organization, right? The fact is no organization is ever going to improve if they don't take advantage of the perspectives they've hired. No team's going to improve. No mission's going to improve. No strategy is going to be properly executed, right? We, we, we're already suffering enough echo chambers in our daily lives as it is. Work really needs to not be one of those echo chambers. <laughs> right. right. So let me, let me ask you the hard question of the hard question. What is your process to, div to divine that um, unique perspective? Bunch of facts in front of you. What's your process? How do you get to a point where here's a take that I think is unique to us, either us the person or us the company? I consume and criticize. That's what I do, right? So, and that's the simplest way I know to put it. Um, so let's say I have a new idea, I thought about something, right? Um, I, I, I tend to appreciate um, intuition as much as I appreciate knowledge. Like my goal is to figure out how do I take the knowledge that I have, use intuition, which really comes from the experience of that knowledge and come to some new realization, right? And the only way that I can do that is to inform and criticize. So um, I, I get some new piece of information. I do some Googling, right? Has anybody written an article about this? Does anyone have a perspective I can currently read and consume? I consume that and the whole time, my goal is not to agree with the person, not even close. My goal is to criticize what I'm reading as much as I possibly can hmm. to find where do I see the holes that are both obvious and not obvious. And then I actually criticize my own criticism. So rather than going to another article and doing the same thing, I take the criticism and I go, okay, does that criticism hold up, right? Does that logical fallacy, is that logical fallacy really a fallacy, right? Now I'm criticizing my own, my own thought process. And at the end of it, I'll have an understanding now of that person's perspective. At that point, I'll do it again, right? Hmm. And by the time I'm done, and I probably only do it, let's say five times right away, um, I will have a, a pretty well-developed understanding of 
both of, of multiple perspectives on an argument, kind of what their logical fallacies were, what the problems were with their methodology, and what they did really well. And at the end of it, I will have developed my own perspective informed by all of that action. Hmm. Kind of how it works. Right? That's a good process. My process isn't like that at all. <laughs> but before I talk about that, Carlos, what what's your process of of you sort know, of inventing a perspective? That's very interesting. I do something very similar, but I'm very visual. So I do a lot of video search and I actually listen to the videos probably at two or three X. Um, and I just literally put it in front of me and I stop everything else. No multitasking at that moment or anything else, because in that area, I want to consume and pay attention. And the first time that my wife saw me doing that, she thought that I was crazy. Because for her, it sound garbage. But then when I, I'm like, okay, to me, when I listen it at the normal speed, the speaker may be speaking normally, but then to me may be too slow. So I want to eliminate everything else. So I go through similar to what Howard is saying, okay, do I know this topic, but what, what other perspective I'm, I can get out of it and go through it. And then I go, how can I contribute or do it in a better way and apply it to whatever I'm doing right now? And from there, I then I could look some articles or something else. And then I go into, okay, I have all this. I can start creating now. And I, and that idea or that whatever I'm doing, then it comes out because I have then it's like a funnel. I have a bunch of stuff on the top and I can squeeze it all the until the bottom to get the best out of it. So it's, it's interesting. I, I, when I do videos, I do videos at, at ultra high speed too. And there's two reasons I do it. One, I had an ADD. <laughs> and so um, just the pauses in natural speech are often, especially if the speaker's not amazing, are often good enough for me to drift. And I don't want to drift, right? I'm trying to, I'm really trying to focus. So I watch at high speed. And then the second thing is um, it takes charisma out of the equation. Mm. So it's really good for like political speech um, because we don't have the normal pauses because we don't, you, you know, the, the high speed eliminates um, speech patterns. A good speaker will lose a lot of the speaking value. And then all I do is retain the knowledge transfer value. Um, I don't do that when I'm trying to develop a perspective, but when I'm trying to learn how to do something, I do exactly what you're talking about. Um, it also, you know, takes a 12 minute video and turns it into four minutes and, and I find that really valuable. But my, my family thinks I'm an absolute lunatic. For it. And, and it's weird because I actually, I went about probably three or four years ago and I sat down with a, one of the developers of the photo reading method. And when I went initially, uh, I went with an open mind, not actually judging. And after I spent four days with him, I couldn't believe how much you can learn when you focus and use techniques like what we're sharing here, that we're taking to be able to interact, get the best out of something and not focus on what you're not going to get. And one of the things that he mentioned is like, sometimes when you read something, you're trying to read every word, but you don't get the meaning. So then you read it and you try to reread it and you try to reread it, 
But then when his method, you probably can catch, let's say 70% of the page at, at the first time, but you got what you needed out of it. And I started applying that method to other areas. And it was very interesting because then I could focus on the good part of what I need, not on like the totality that I don't need. Yeah. So years ago, I came up with a reading method that worked really, really, really well for me. And I've taught it a few times, but it comes down to you read everything three times. Right. Mike, if your goal is to gain knowledge, not be entertained, to gain knowledge, you read everything three times. So the first time you read, you, and, and each time you read with a goal, and the goal changes every time. So the first time you read, you're reading for structure, um, personality, and organization, mm -hmm. right? and key concepts. So I'll read through a technical book, and I'll probably read it in two to three hours, absolute max. My goal is, um, how is this book organized? What are the key concept concepts and where do they fall within the book? And how does the, the writer use language? Right? What's their personality? <clears throat> and the, the best part about it is um, by the time I'm done, you could say a concept and I can probably find roughly where it is in the book. Like I can narrow it down to say 20 pages by flipping it open and then I'll find it. You know what I mean? Okay, that's right there. Then the next time I go through and I read, now I'm reading to understand the key topics, which is kind of what we do anyways, right? Um, this is the, the bulk of the learning, right? But now when I'm reading, <clears throat> oftentimes, especially technical authors, will refer to things that they don't explain in the beginning, right? And so now I'm reading through and I go, oh, okay, I remember that. That's on chapter 17. So I'll skip to chapter 17. I'll read the first like three paragraphs. Then I'll flip back and I go, okay, like I have a better understanding of that now. Now I have the context around it. Now I'm really looking for the nuance. So I read all the way through. And then the third and final time I read, now I'm reading to connect page one to page 655, whatever the last page is, right? Is there some cohesive story here that's not just a set of, of concepts and a set of buttons that I click and a set of tools, but rather what is the big picture kind of piece and by the time I'm done, I'll, I'll generally end up with a really good understanding of whatever the function was. Um, it's also really fast. I know it doesn't sound like it, but it's really, really fast. That seems like a lot of work. It, it sounds like it. It's really not. My, my process includes none of that work. <laughs> <laughs> it's more work. Uh, if I were to describe my process, it would be, it would be abstract connections. But that's what I focus on mostly. So, so think of it as a multi-phase approach, which isn't a funneling. It's much more of a, a graph, right? So, so phase one, which is happening constantly, is consumption of content. Um, consumption of content from lots of different sources, from lots of different media, from lots of different areas. But the important part there isn't the totality of the consumption, but the variety of the consumption. So much so. I purposely consume in much smaller micro bits, like think blog, right? Versus manual, right? Versus novel. Uh, but more importantly, that I change the topic per consumption. So let's say I'm sitting down for two hours. In that two hours, I will have read 200 things that have crossed technology, um, uh, pop culture, religion, politics, back to technology, 
mixed all through there to, to get as much breadth as I possibly can, but to ensure that per type, I get more than one source, right? So if there's a technology topic on AI, I'll make sure that there are five different sources of that particular topic that is intermixed in that two hours. So by the time I finish the two hours, I have a pretty broad appreciation, but light, of a variety of topics. That's kind of stage one. Stage two um, has nothing to do with that consumption. It has everything to do with living my life, which really just means this. Uh, people I talk to, movies that I watch, uh, music, th uh, sorry, movies that I watch, music that I listen to, meetings that I have, interactions with real people over real time, I hear bits and pieces, right? A quote, an interesting turn of phrase, uh, a perspective that I'll read in a blog or a sentence that I think resonates to me personally in some way, and I create a list. And that list is what we went through, at least on my side, in this original blog. Stage three is that connection. I take some of those interesting things and then apply that to some sort of technology concern. All the consumption I just made to say, can I use this abstract perspective, this one-liner, this unique thing, and actually apply it to some sort of technology practitioner, right? Can I say that this religious concept actually applies to how one operates IT or how one leads a team and from that connection, builds out the asset. I know that sounds strange, but no, that no, is exactly my process. I think that's really interesting. And, and, and what's kind of neat about it is you and I do it differently and we end up with a different result, right? Like, because <clears throat> that shouldn't be, <laughs> but, that should but, be reasonable. Right, right. No, but, but what's interesting about it is how different the result is. Right. Because it, it actually makes us work better together by quite a lot, mm -hmm. right? Because um, I, I, what I end up with is like what happened to me when I moved to Colorado. I was on Reddit having a conversation with someone in the Colorado forums about how Colorado is purple. <laughs> I got lit up by somebody who said, you're a moron. Um, Colorado isn't purple. Col Colorado has been purple for a very long time. This is not a new thing. I see. Um, so I said, okay, well, that sounds interesting. But why would you say that? He said, well, we voted in Democratic um, governors, like, forever. Mm -hmm. um, that makes us purple, like, go away, you lunatic. Um, and I went, okay, well, that's, like, that's a perspective I don't have. So let me go do some research, right. um, which led me to a, um, a college professor who wrote a, who found the um, geopolitics and economics of Colorado to be so interesting. He wrote a, a college textbook on it. So I found a copy of the college textbook and read the college textbook so that I could then come back and have an intelligent conversation with this person and go, um, you probably need to learn more about Colorado. <laughs> right. Like, um, because I wormhole a lot. <clears throat> like I wormhole on this, on, on our podcast. It's, it's, this should not be, uh, if, you're, uh, if you're hearing our podcast for the very first time, this could be news to you. If you've heard two, <laughs> this is not news to you, right? Um, but, but what's interesting is, uh, Paul, you have a tendency to interrupt with a new perspective or a different perspective on a point so frequently that it really helps to inform the conversation in a way that it otherwise wouldn't. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's like you're constantly pointing and refining 
my um, my rants into a tighter and tighter and tighter focus or to a different target um, just to kind of see what interesting and unique stuff we can have out, out of this. And I don't think that works if both of us have the same viewpoint. Like if right. both of us have the same level of depth, we're just going to diverge. And instead <laughs> right. what we do is we tend to focus down more and more and more and more. Um, and it's a really unique way to go about it. And I, I highly encourage anyone that's listening, start to become introspective about how the things work in your day-to-day -day life, right? Think about, um, don't be casual in the things that matter. And the fact is most things matter, right? And so really start making a decision about what matters to you, why does it matter, and how do I make sure that the things that matter get the attention they deserve? So. Carlos hears and watches us the most. He does. I'd, I'd love to hear whether uh, what uh, Howard's point of view, perspective, process versus mine, whether you could tell that being an observer versus. You know, it's very interesting. Now that Howard pointed out, you you can see the conversation when we have that. That is like. You set the stage, and it's like uh, you you know when you're gonna the, you see the videos of the person they're gonna go skiing down the hill and then gonna jump. Yeah. So you you're that gate right there, and as soon as it goes, then Howard goes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then depends. That's, so, that's the best analogy I've ever heard. And you can see him like, what was the, mo the movie? Uh, I think that was the the eagle or something like that. Oh, the right, yeah. oh, Eddie yeah, the, the eagle. eagle. Yeah. yeah. So it's like that. So Howard is going, and then he lands, and then he go back up. And so while he goes up, you're setting up the stage again, and then sometimes it flips because sometimes you take the the wave, but it's actually it's very interesting because it's how a team should work because then each one is supporting each other, not competing. They may, we may have similar capabilities in some areas, but instead of competing, what we're doing right here is that we're actually focusing on what we, each one of us is really good. So you're really good at one way, Paul, and then Howard is really good at another way, and I'm really good at, at something else. So in that way, then it become a complement. So then it's like, like a band. The whole thing is sounding correctly because if you put two drummers, then it's gonna mess up the whole thing or, or three keyboards or something like that. And just to prove the point, and I'm going to make a guess here, and Howard, you agree or disagree, that I actually believe that the activity of the podcast that we do right now, for me, it's about consumption. Whereas I'm guessing for you, it's about connection. It's about the, the interaction between ideas. That's how, that's how I take this podcast. Is I listen to the rant and say, okay, well, that's more info for me. And you'll listen to my perspective and you'll see it as connecting the dots. Yeah, every time. Um, it's, it, it's, a, it's amazing. Any topic that, that we talk about here, um, is more evolved 
more informed and better phrased after the podcast than it would have been before the podcast. That is true. Right. Um, and, and for me, it very much is um, like, how do I take these ideas and put them together into something cohesive and how do I refine them? Mm-hmm. And the fact is I refine them at a hundred X with the input from YouTube versus trying to do it on my own. Right. Right. So how, after listening to all this, for years we have worked in different teams, different companies, how do we land the plane for leaders that after all these changes um, are seeing a little bit of a difficulty to get their teams to collaborate? Some of them cannot even may have the same drive that they have before. So lead to listening, right? Lead to listening. Um, it becomes, if you're listening, it becomes relatively easy to see how someone else's opinion was informed by the opinions that came before within the same meeting, mm-hmm. right? Um, and as a leader, since your job is to lead, not to, not to uh, proclaim, right? Um, not to demand, but rather to lead, and that's inspirational, spend more time listening in the meetings, spend more time demanding, not asking for it, demanding no, demanding perspective, and really focus on the value of being critical, right? I don't want a meeting, especially if, look, if I'm the leader, I don't need attaboys. If I'm a leader, I don't thrive on attaboys. I thrive on criticism from people that I trust to give me advice. And that does, and damn well better, include people who work for you, mm-hmm. right? If nobody who works for me is someone I would trust to give me advice, why do they work for me? <laughs> right. Right? And I hate to say it, that's not a them problem. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you and, hired them. You keep them on your team. You're right. making the mistake. And you mentor them. Like, right. that's your job. Your job is, in fact, to mentor every single person that's a direct report to you and encourage that if they have direct reports, they're doing the same thing. Yep. And so listen to what's going on. Listen to the interaction. Demand criticism. And, and on that point, I'll, I'll tell the, the story of the Jewish system. system. I, I kind of talked through it before we started this. Um, I got to visit uh, Israel. And when in Israel, I went to Jerusalem. And in King David's tomb, there's rabbinical study. Um, they are, uh, rabbis are studying the Torah for a better understanding of their God. Um, and in doing so, they do not do it individually. And this was the thing I really liked. Um, they always do it in pairs. And the goal isn't this kind of what we think of as the mentor-mentee relationship or the teacher-student relationship. It's nearly opposite of that. Mm-hmm. So one person is studying to determine, a, to gain a better understanding of a passage or a story or a parable or a lesson, whatever it happens to be. The other rabbi's job is to play, is to be the critic, is to take exactly the opposite viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And the reason they do that isn't because they think the person's wrong, isn't because um, they, wanna, they want to poke holes in the argument, It's because the fact of the matter is the best way we can ever learn is to have someone challenge us. 
If you ever want to know, do you actually understand something? Try to teach it to a five-year-old, <laughs> right? Try to just teach it in general. Teach it to someone who doesn't know it, who doesn't understand it. Because you're going to have to work through all of the stuff. You're going to have to reduce your language. You're going to have to really think about your arguments. Um, and, and the goal that they have is you say it means this. It doesn't. It means this. Therefore, defend your position that it means this. Right? And so if you really struggle getting your people to kind of open up, right? Like your culture hasn't really enabled it. You've never really, maybe you've never really put the active thought into it and, and gone, hmm, I don't see that a lot. And now you've tried, or you've tried techniques for a year and just haven't got anywhere. Try pairing them off. Right? And go, okay, we brainstormed for an hour. These are the 17 good things we came up with. I'm going to assign each of you one of those good things, and I'm going to put you in a pair. So you're going to argue the pros, you're going to argue the cons. Then you're going to flip, and on the other topic, you're going to argue the pros, and you're going to argue the cons. Doesn't matter if you believe it or not, you're required to argue the other side. If I were to answer the question and potentially even summarize what Howard's saying is I would say ensure as a leader that your team has an ability to uh, create diversity of thought. And by that, I don't mean varying degrees of knowledge. I mean varying degrees of application of knowledge. So have someone in the room that is really good at digging deep, right? Have a well-read understanding of topic. Another person in the room that takes that critical opinion. Do you really think that's true? I've heard other things. Uh, have another person in the room that is focused much more on connections, to connect various things together and see if they can apply it differently. Um, and then another person in the room that's about almost entirely uh, pragmatic or practitioner. How does it actually apply in the real world? What are the constraints that allow this to happen or not happen? Like ensure that you have that diversity in the room, diversity of thought to, to get to rise up the best the best answers and to actually come up with solutions you wouldn't have had to come up if you just had the same kind of person in the room. So I would say the, the only other person I would add is a historian. Mm -hmm. um, amazingly enough, how we get to where we are is in fact defined by the history that got us to this place. Why do we do it that way? We do it that way because 50 years ago, this was the only way to do it. Right. And we simply made incremental change along the way. Oh, oh, okay. So then to change it, we just have to change the way we think about the thing. Right. You know what I mean? Understanding how we got there, the history is in fact the most important piece of context. And often if you want to make a change and you don't understand the history, it's never gonna happen. But understanding the history gives you the power to then go, if this is the root of why we think the way we do, why we act the way we do, why we do the thing the way we do, then let's talk about how that root is not built on a solid foundation and how if we simply change that foundation to a better foundation we can move forward. Carlos, I have no idea how long this we've been talking. We've been talking for 34 minutes. <laughs> okay. First time that I been looking at the <laughs> Normally we have to send a message out but well my friends it's been awesome. So you just saw the process that we go through and we decided to do this because a lot of times as leaders we think that someone else knows what they have to do but we just share a new idea a new way of what we're doing a collaborative way that it applies to us right now and it can help you with your team 
and everything that you do my friend so as always make sure that you subscribe and that you share this video podcast or the audio podcast with your team with your friends and your family and my friends we'll see you on our next episode <laughs>